Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this last episode of 2020. I want to take this opportunity to say thank you so much for listening to my podcast this year. It means a lot to me, and I know it also means a lot to the guests. If you're interested in hearing more of them in 2021, I would love to hear from you. In today's episode, number 14, I converse with my friend Cherie Sito. Cherie and I met at a workshop back in 2016, and since then we've attended several of the same workshops, and so we've gotten to know each other quite well. And when I did my stretch therapy teachers intensive, she was one of the assistant teachers there as well. In this conversation, Cherie shares many little lessons that she's learned over the years of her life. For example, like how she sees beauty in everything and how she's simplifying her teaching so her students can chew one bite of it at a time and how she brings people together to connect with one another, especially now in 2020 with the COVID pandemic happening. I think that you will really find this episode quite encouraging and positive. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation I had with Cherie Sito. start by putting a bit of context to how we know each other and I had to think back a little bit to remember when we first met and I'm pretty sure that we first met at Emmett's mobility workshop at Jungle Brothers in Sydney maybe I thought that too the very first one that was the most awesome workshop And it was, what did Emmett say? It was 20 of the most talented people he'd ever worked with all in the same room. And it became more like an advanced teacher's workshop where we're all coming in with a new variation on whatever it was he was teaching. And he said, all of you could have taught this workshop and yet we paid him, but it was just so much fun. And everybody got different personal bests and whatever. And, and the energy was nothing like I had experienced in other workshops. And that, nothing has been repeated quite like it. The second one wasn't the same as the first one. That first one had a unique blend of personalities. And I am so grateful to have been part of that. Yeah. It blows my mind. <laughs> And I go, you can record this. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was quite special for me as well because it was the first time I met you, first time I met Kit, uh, Dave was there, Robbie was there, Fred. Um, you know, there were heaps of other people that I knew from uh, various places. And, yeah, it was super um, special. Exactly like Emmett was saying, there was so much um knowledge and energy in that room incredible yeah yeah so there was people from circus people from gymnastics people from crossfit different boxes training boxes stretch therapy was Mm. the the cream of in sydney at the time you know it was just woohoo But, you know, one thing that I remember from that workshop was we were sitting outside at lunch and um, you and Kit were eating something that you had cooked. And I remember Kit saying, you know, this is delicious. You were talking about, you know, your cooking and your food and all that. And it is something that I've experienced myself, uh, your cooking. The way that you explain how you do it is quite how should I explain it? It takes a bit of time, but it's really simple, right? What makes your cooking so special, Cherie? Okay, going back in time, I come from refugee stock from the Second World War. Both sets of 
grandparents were chased out by the Japanese through New Guinea and the Solomon Islands and brought to Australia. And they started Chinese restaurants in Sydney. And growing up in the back of the restaurant in Redfern with my papa, my grandmother, basically showing me different things, my grandfather showing me different things. There's a photograph in front of my sister and I, we're not even at kindergarten yet, but we're peeling things. We're peeling like basins of garlic and beans and trimming things. You know, you get to learn how to wash a fish and a chicken and, and crabs and stuff like that. You just see it all and it becomes so part of your natural experience that I teach uh, myself how to cook something by its fragrance. You think, oh, that needs a bit of white pepper. Oh, that needs a bit more sesame oil. Or I can't measure. And actually, I've had this experience of staying with Kit and Olivia for a week and we're cooking and Kit wants me to write down the recipe. And I go, I don't do that. And when I have done that, people have done it and go, oh, it didn't taste the same. And I said, well, I kind of think, it's about a third of that bottle and it's a bit pinch of this and a bit of that. Can you smell that needs cumin? Can you? And they go, what? What are you talking about? You know, so it's experimenting and using your senses. And I've always loved that about cooking. It's just chemistry and physics. And you just think timing and paying attention and what do I like to taste and butter on everything. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I think I would. Yeah, I think I must have done a meat thing where I'd marinated it for two or three days and then I've cooked it, baked it. And when you use it cold, oh, man, it's tasty. And, and whatever you put in it together and a little bit of vinegars and stuff like that, there's nothing fancy, nothing mm -hmm. fancy. <laughs> but we try to make it varied and not the same thing. And I've always thought, oh, well, if it didn't work, straight out to the compost. <laughs> But it's been rare. I'm not good on cakes, mm -hmm. not good on that kind of thing. It's never been something I gravitated to. But when it comes to putting dinner out for 10, uh, okay, let's do this. It was funny because when we had booked in this um, recording a couple of days ago and I got really bad hay fever, um, you suggested to me to um, do the nose rinsing, the neti pot, and... I've done that uh, many times and it's one of those things where I go, yeah, that's a good thing to do. I really like the way it feels afterwards. Um, it seems to clear it up really nicely and I should do this more often. This little word should comes in. And I wanted to ask you, do you have those things yourself? There's certain things you can't seem to necessarily fit into your lifestyle but you know that oh, yeah those things could be good for me to do but they just don't take priority do you have any of those things like you teaching me handstands and I don't put any <laughs> practice in at all once I did it <laughs> once yay <laughs> yes like handstands <laughs> and uh, Kit's just teaching me goblet squatting <laughs> at the moment and today is the day I actually do it again uh mm, that's yes <laughs> yes <laughs> a lot because we're inundated with many cool things and I'll sign up to something and think right I'm going to do this I'm going to do that and then I get hijacked by life and it it boils down to what is a priority for me not necessarily having to do uh, a, a strict, strict practice. Though the neti pot I do every day. I can't walk out the door without having it done. Started when I was going to yoga retreats and you always prepare yourself in the morning, cleaning yourself. And that includes using the neti pot, brushing your teeth, going to the toilet, all of those things, washing yourself to begin the day fresh. And then when you sit down for meditation, you are training yourself to focus. Then you might do a physical practice. Now people are asking me, so what do you do for stretching? And I don't have a routine. I don't because I'm listening to my body. My body needs 
this particular thing or this particular thing in that moment, that's when I do it. I, I don't feel that having got older, I've just turned 57, that it's important for me to do these, what I call tricking. So is it to make me stronger and age better? Maybe, but basically most of my work is shifted into something more simple, more foundational. So basic is not a bad word and it's meeting people where they are and that includes myself, where I am today. This is what I need to feel comfortable. So my aim in my aging is to be independent, retain my dignity, I never lost it, and be functional. And, and in that, everything peels off that, you know, I'm happy, I'll go and play tennis, I'll go and um, anything that is asked of me, I can do at some degree without too much trouble. And that's cool. I love it. You know, so that's not, it's not glamorous. And I think people get caught up in the rah-rah of thing and I'm absolutely adverse to all of that. You know, so I remember when I first met Dave and he moved to Sydney finally and shared my space. And I noticed that all the guys, Dave didn't do this, but all the guys of that group were doing the summer retreats and winter retreats. They're all going bush and they're foraging and all that sort of thing. And I'm looking at that. I thought, good on you, good on you. And, and then they go, oh, why don't you do it? And they kept teasing me about it. And I go, no, no, no. And I go, no. And they go, oh, you're, are you a bit weak or you're, you're gone soft, Cherie? And I thought about it and I go, no, I haven't gone soft. I'm actually 20 years older than you. I did it 20 years ago. So off you go. <laughs> you go. You got a nice, yeah, you know what? I've done camping. I've done backpacking through Kakadu and the whole thing, carry your own food, take the water off the ground as your source of moisture. And you think, I've done that. I loved it. But not today. <laughs> yeah. Today, I'd rather have a bed banks, you know, uh, if I go glamping yeah i might be up for that but you know this it's it's not necessary to say i'm going to test myself and see if i can survive in the bush i know i've done it <laughs> yeah for sure yeah yeah so um yeah. what are some things that you did when you were younger that was obviously different from today in terms of physical practices um physical I guess physical exploring and testing yourself and that sort of thing. What were some things that you were doing back then? Uh, back in my twenties and early thirties, I was rock climbing. I was doing that nearly every weekend inside and outside, learning to read a face, learning to pitch, learning to, I was doing lots of canyoning, uh, learned to swim at 29. So mm. every Aussie person seems to know how to swim. And I spectacularly avoided it at school, didn't like it. Had a bad experience as a kid, so I just didn't go there. But everybody mm -hmm. goes, oh, you got swimmer's shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 29, after doing so much outdoor stuff and having to jump into water and dog paddle, and you just think, this is not working. I need to learn to swim. So I took myself off to the pool. Uh, North Sydney had five adult lessons swam 500 meters and I just thought okay done that but that's the sort of thing I would do uh, I jumped out of a plane and did my first skydive and only skydive landed on my feet awesome not tandem did it solo so all those kinds of things I thought right I want to hit it on the head done okay let's get do something else but that's what I was doing played tennis all the time played tennis four days a week and a couple of those were competition but all doubles so all fun and gym work hated it Duh. I was nowhere near a gym I didn't like the smell what is that why do you stink no I am not going there so <laughs> uh, I've told my my husband Ken I said look um, according to new scientists Asians and females have the best 
olfactory sense of smell. You know, like we can smell everything. We really can. And it's go, oh my God, what is that? You know, so I was like, no, I'm not going to do Not touching that. You didn't wipe it. Not going there. <laughs> I find it a struggle sometimes to go in some boxes that don't clean. I'm like, mm. oh my God, what is that? You know, so I've got better at that though now. You know, it's uh, it's just part of life, I guess. <laughs> I guess it is, so, hey? I, I've been very fortunate that in my studio, I shampoo the carpet at least, you know, every few months. And Dave used to say to me, between you and me is reality, Sheree. I don't know how you can spell that. But I would say last night, someone in your class had really bad feet. He goes, you can smell that? I said, I can smell it as soon as I open the door. What the hell? I said, whoever that is, find out, make them wash their feet before they come in. He goes, oh, okay then, you know. But that was really, like, funny for me to actually discover that this was a thing and then Dave was discovering, you really can? I said, if I can, there's a whole bunch of other people that can smell that. And I have had clients tell me, over in that corner getting a little bit whiffy you know I thought, okay I've got to do the carpets you know and that that's why I've been in the space I've been for over 11 years and it doesn't stink no mm. way <laughs> so it sounds to me like it's um because I hear that pregnant women get this like very strong or like heightened uh, sense of smell yeah. and they could just smell everything it sounds like something like that it's almost like mm -hmm. a superpower that is not so beneficial always, maybe. <laughs> well, you can go to the fridge, open a container and go, whoa, not needing that. And Ken will smell it again. Yeah, it's fine. Like, oh, I don't know how you can do that. But he's Mr. Cast Iron Stomach, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> are you still at the uh, studio on Pitt Street? Or have you completely... You are. Okay. Because um, I, I thought you were or had moved maybe completely. But I opened the second space. Aha. Uh -huh. In June, where you came up to the landscape nursery to help us out at the beginning of the year, uh, that space has been completed and I'm doing uh, short workshops and some classes and lots of private sessions up here. But the Pitt Street CBD studio is going to stay open. Uh, during COVID, the first couple of months, April and May, were not possible and I had to do everything on Zoom. So as soon as I found out in March this was happening in the world, I thought I have to move right now onto Zoom, right now. And my, mm. all my clients were going, what? So I, for the older clients, I would have to help them install and it took like 90 minutes for them to be on the phone and I'm trying to talk to them about their computer and... Uh, we got them all up online and we went from there. So working on to camera was a new skill that got better and better as time went on. And that also allowed me to get a gig with Sydney University where they were looking for someone to teach small stretch segments to help their work from home people break up their really stupendously long hours in front of the computer and so because one of my clients was in HR and said I know the perfect person and I was already up and running um, they tried me out I auditioned for it and they got it and so it went all the way up to October until the budget ran out and, and it was fantastic so I was doing it up to nine times a week for 15 minutes for different faculties, different groups of people. And we, there was a core group of people that loved doing it and learning how to stretch. So there was a new skill of how do I teach something in such a short space of time and still achieve the, ooh, you know, that, that really good feeling and not rushing it and uh, making it humorous, entertaining. The big thing that I learned was no we don't want video we don't want you to record it to look at later 
We need a live person. We need someone who can answer questions right off the bat. And that's what I was doing. People go, can you hold on a second? I just want to ask you a question about my ankle or something. So it was just little basic things because I don't like curbside consultations, but it's very personable. And so that made me even more uh, skilled at doing the longer one hour class, which is my limit. I won't do a workshop on Zoom, not yet. It's very tiring. You're looking at multiple places. You're looking at the people in the room as well. I have people in the room, which makes it easier to teach. So you've got two camera and some live person who's reacting to you in a way that you think, oh, yes, don't forget, do this, do that. Do, do, do. And that's, that's how it goes. And so you just be natural. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a very interesting time, uh, 2020. What have you learned during this time, Shuri? Have you, has there been any big like takeaway points for you apart from obviously like the work-related stuff with, um, with Zoom and uh, getting to know teaching in a different way through online mediums and that sort of thing? Is there anything else that you have that has become clearer for you? I love being at home. Love being at home. I love it. I love not talking to people. <laughs> That's <laughs> like the complete cool. opposite to a lot of people right now, I think. Oh, yeah. I love, uh, I don't need entertainment. I don't need an audience. I don't need many things. I mean, this has been a terrific time to be able to enjoy stillness and really schedule that into my day, a daily still point. And it doesn't matter what time of day or where it is or how long, stillness, I love it. And I, I've owned myself as it, that's the, one of the hardest things I think I've ever have to do in my life is to see me, to actually direct some attention to me, who is me who is me undefined by work, undefined by my relationships. Ooh, who's that? You know, so do I like that person? I like her. She's, she's a lot stronger than, you know, I've given credit. And so when I was talking about, you know, being in Emmett's workshop and not feeling I was uh, as skilled as all the other people in there, yes, I was in my own right. I have my own way of doing things and it's okay to have my style. That, that's been a big one. I have a style. I have a way of talking. I have a way of sense of humor that's unique to me. That's okay. And I can't please everyone. So that's okay. So that's, that's been interesting. Some people have had different expectations of, uh, of me and have been shocked when I said, no. And I'll say, not right now. So that's not a flat out no all the time. But no, I actually know more about what I want to say no to. And it feels liberating. Liberating. I don't, I'm not keeping that. No, I'm not wearing that. No, I've got great things that I'm surrounding myself with. I love beauty in everyday objects. I've just finished reading a lovely little book about recognizing beauty in simple things. Someone took the time to design that cup, that fork, the feel of it is in your mouth. The shape of a spoon makes, makes you wonder at someone's thought process on how that was made and molded or pressed. You know, you just see things a little bit more closely. Uh, take a, I'll go back to Dave again. His daughter, Sophie, broke her arm. And when it, it was just the early, early days, the first week, I said, take her out with a magnifying glass. Just go out there with a big magnifying glass and just look at things in a detailed way. It's wonderful. I used to love doing that because, you know, she's, well, eight or something and got a broken arm. She's not going to do a whole bunch and she's an active kid. It'll be great fun. But it's like I'm looking right now to a vista of a bamboo grove, tree ferns other trees that are in the distance, borrowed scenery, gum trees, the light is starting to change. It's just beautiful. I love that. So, you know, what I've learned is wherever I'm at, I make home. Mm -hmm. 
and it's really lovely. I can go anywhere and be really comfortable. I love reading more and more and more. It's such a pleasure. Cooking from scratch, experimenting with that, uh, creating spaces in this new studio where people walk in and go, wow, it's like an art gallery. We've got all our big paintings out from all our travels, our sculptures, our uh, treasures. You know, it's, it's just things, but I'm also happy to let that go too. You know, you can make, make it inviting. That's one of my gifts, I think. I can make somewhere where I am inviting. Sit down, have some food with me, have a drink, have a relax. Let's have a lie down. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to hear you talk about this because I recognise myself in a lot of what you are talking about. And... Um, one thing is this thing of like, I actually also have noticed during this time that I like stillness and I like to just sit and just being and just yeah. breathe, pay attention to what my body feels like, pay attention to the room, the tree that's outside the window, that sort of thing. It's almost like I have not prioritized or I know that I have not prioritized that enough before, but this whole COVID situation kind of put me into a place where I could easily prioritize it let's just say is that kind of how things have gone for you as well in terms of like finding you finding that now do you think that that has something to do with a lot of things being still in general or like people being home you being home more and that sort of thing a little bit yeah because I was taking two hours of traveling every day an hour in an hour out so that's even though I was using that time to listen to podcasts and things like that it's still doing something uh, I'm actually not listening to a whole lot of podcasts I, I backed away it was like we hit a crescendo last summer of activity I mean and you were moving just all these different things we were all doing, 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 and then bang, lockdown. And you just think, actually, this is all right. And our <laughs> government was just so generous. I couldn't believe I was being paid to sit at home. And I'm thinking, far out. You know, I could get things in order and then I could let things go because you think, why am I saving that? You know, that it's actually not worthwhile to put my time there. And you get to have more daydreaming time. Daydreaming time is really essential. And you think, I am at a certain point in my life. It could be halfway. It could be one third. I could live to 150. I could be living to 108. I could be living to just today. <laughs> so, you know, what am I doing? It's, uh, I, I, I stopped chasing people I didn't think were worthwhile. I didn't invest time in things that were um, so important to me before. So the, that, that was just a powerful shift, a really powerful shift. And when everybody was woeing and, and, and being uh, champion whingers, that's a lovely Australian term, <laughs> champion whinger there. <laughs> they just went, oh, stop it. I said, this is fabulous, you know. Autumn's my favourite time. So March, April, having to slow right down. Cool. All right. This is it. This is it. This is my new normal. Okay, cool. I like it. Now, let's redesign something else, you know. I mean, it's just wonderful to let the imagination run riot. That's yeah. it. I wasn't thinking about what I had to do. It was just like, try something different. Try something different. Uh, I've got a lovely little book. Oh, he was, he used to work for Saatchi and Saatchi, I think it was something like, uh, whatever you think, think the opposite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Simple book. I mean, you just do the opposite, what everybody else thinks. It really opens up a new possibility. Yeah. New possibility. You know, when you came here to help after the storm and all the trees had crashed into the nursery and crushed so many plants and things, Things have changed here and we're being able to take out those trees and, oh, wow, we can see the sky in a different way and it's allowed a new growth area and that's how I see myself. You think, wow, 
that just means I'm trying something different. Try something different and it's okay. And people who say, and the socializing thing, haven't really missed it. Yeah. I love you. I do love you. (laughs) One at a time, thanks. Um, this might not be a good like um, comparable thing but I almost see it as you know when you eat chocolate at, or like if you like chocolate and you eat chocolate and you end up eating chocolate every night even if it's just a couple of squares then it kind of doesn't taste that nice anymore and then it's like okay I need a break and you take a week off or whatever and then you know when you see your friends again it's like ah, it's nice. And it's like, you build up a little bit of anticipation and it's like, it's got like this new energy that comes to it when you finally get to, to see them. I I feel like it's a little bit similar with chocolate and, you know, the social side of things there. Yeah. I used to just like plain dark, but now I have to have peppermint in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like peppermint. So when you ask about chocolate, dark with peppermint, and there used to be, uh, I don't think we can buy it now, Red Tulip was a brand here. And after dark, after dinner mints, after mm. dinner mints, it was in the 70s, probably before you were born. <laughs> used to, they came in a little dark wrapper, a little pocket, and it was a square matchbox size. And we used to keep the chocolate inside. It had peppermint cream in, in it. And we used to keep the paper around it and get a rolling pin. And we would roll it on top of the paper to squish this chocolate, making it bigger. We'd put it back in the fridge and then peel off the paper when it was solid. And it would be twice the size of its normal shape sort of thing. So it <laughs> felt like I was eating a bigger chocolate. I mean, this is how poor we were. <laughs> But now Aldi has brought out this dark after minute after dinner mint chocolate that is almost identical. And so I started buying these and eating two of those at night time. And I think it's just like being a kid and it's such a secret pleasure. Isn't it funny that the things that you like as a child and you revisit them as an adult, they still have that wicked sense of, joy you know the whoa i get a chocolate <laughs> all to myself it was just so nice i've done that recently <laughs> you know what we have um, a similar one uh called after eight in um, in sweden and um it's funny that you bring that up because i spoke to one of my good friends from sweden about this just last week and how it's like he had one in the cupboard and he's like brought it out and showed me on video and he's like isn't this so special, you know, like when you have the after eights, after dinner at night and, you know, it tastes so good. (laughs) I really like them. So, yes, I do have naughty things in my cupboard and every day there's a little naughty thing that is, I like calling it naughty. I don't think there's anything bad about it. It's not, it's something wickedly pleasurable. It's just nice. And and I'm not an, a person who will gorge um, the whole packet, though I have done that, but it's unlikely. I, I know it's there. Mm. So if it, in a sense that with everything, you know, that from training to working to whatever, just enough, just enough. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that. And I, where was I reading? Someone had a eating style of you just eat to 80% of your satiation so that you're never overeating you just eat and the hunger pang is gone you can stop now Mm. I'm kind of like that I could eat yeah more but I can stop now I know it's there yeah and it's more of an awareness thing than a discipline thing yeah so if I make a choice to do that I choose to do that if I choose to wear those shoes I will choose to wear those shoes it's not because I have to wear vibrant five fingers and I have to be barefoot and I have to wear cotton organic, you know, all that sort of thing. I choose to wear that. Mm. I choose to wear curls to stretching. I choose to, 
only eat soup at lunch or something like that. It's just it's, mm. it's a choice. Everything is a choice. Today, yeah. this is it. Yeah. Today, I'm having three coffees. Can you handle that much caffeine? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> Lucky you. I wish I could do that. Uh, yeah, I have two, sometimes three, sometimes none. Yeah. Sometimes start the day with a cup of hot water. You know, and then I, I, I guess when you're talking about the neti pot, it's part of the ritual of getting up. So it's next to my toothbrush, you know, so I can ritualize it and it becomes a, a habit. When it comes to my stretching, I broke it down into, I choose something that's going to be the test. So it could be a standing forward bend, a pike, see what the quality is like. Then I do preparation. Work with the things in the body that were having a little noise at me. So I always start with the feet. I like waking up the feet and I work up from there. And then I do the little routine that I decide is important. Then I go back to the test, see if there was any change. And then the session's finished. That goes mm. for every session. Um, so test, preparation, routine, test. Off you go. And people say, oh, can you write that out for me? No. <laughs> Not even not right now. It's just no. <laughs> just memorize the sequence. <laughs> Take a photo. <laughs> Isn't that? Uh, it sounds terrible, but you can do anything with humor. And, you, and they go, oh, I said, I want you to know it. Now teach it back to me. Teach it back to me. But teach means you learn twice. And then I know mm. they've got it. And, and no problem if you don't just a bit more practice you go oh there's so much information what is with that with the adversity of getting information what what is wrong with actually having something explained to you in a more fulsome manner we as practitioners have a duty of care to our clients to demystify what's happening in their bodies. We don't live there, but this holding back information in a way that is unhelpful in my, my experience. Do you know why you've been told to use a ball that way or roll, use a rolled towel that way or use a stick that way? No. Well, if you don't know what you're doing, why would you do it? You know, yeah. why would you do the neti pot? Actually, that's there. Here's a good reason. Why are you doing the neti pot? And it, it's about, you know, cleaning out the pathogens that you've breathed in. Your first line of defense is your nostril hairs. So you think, okay, I'm cleaning that out. Any mucus response, you're cleaning that out. You're keeping your sinus passages clear so you can keep yourself oxygenated. You're also cooling the head so that your mind is cool in a way. When you go to that still point, the busyness seems to have been washed out. That's part of the ritual of all of that is that there is more than just a physical practice. So that's why I do it. And I rarely, rarely ever get sick. Mm. But that's part of keeping healthy. Yeah. So something that you mentioned there with you have seen that people tend to be a bit adverse to receiving information about stuff or yeah yeah speak to me more about that because I, I find that really interesting because what comes to my mind is I haven't probably haven't experienced so much that they don't want information but maybe rather that they don't have the capacity to take it in or to pay attention to what you are telling them what's your thoughts on that or what's your experience with it yeah my philosophy is to make something complex simple and wonderful and so when we get to the end of the class or the private session they, they feel fantastic they've enjoyed every bit of it and they remember about 10 percent and so I tell them, I said, you have to come to class and you have to practice regularly so it becomes instinctual, that you are aware of how to lift your chest, how to tuck your towel under, uh, you know, thinking everything in the front that you're stretching, you need to tuck your towel. 
when you're bending forward and stretching the posterior chain, you want to untuck. So how do you untuck? And is it in one direction? Is it possible to be more of a spiral versus just cardinal points of north, south, east, west? So giving them all of these ideas, they can feel that it's kind of overwhelming because all mm -hmm. they've ever done is move forward. No side bending, no rotation, no work walking backwards. And so it just confounds their body. It confounds what they're doing. So I find that in a lot of the movement practices and things, uh, it can be really too busy for them. They're already hyper-stimulated. They need less stimulation, but the overwhelmingness of being with themselves adds a kind of barrier to that. The, the body is almost reluctant, even though the mind is saying, I need to stretch, I need to do this. The body's reluctant to shift into a new way of being. So it's two steps forward, one back, two steps forward, one back. And, and I just see the clients who've been me with over the years and the ones that keep going, they, they tell the new ones, they go, well, you know, I used to be like this and it's going to be like this. But once five or six weeks pass, then that sense of being overwhelmed is much, much less, you know, it's just, you know, super, um, super new. And then, and so we, this, ah, that, that's the point here, that when people are doing new things, they still expect to be experts at the end mm -hmm. of one hour. And you think, no, 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 baby steps, baby steps. And it's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to say, I'm not very good at doing that. I get a lot of senior management people. They don't like doing class. They would rather do a private session because they're embarrassed and a little bit ashamed at their physical diminishment. <laughs> If yeah. I could put it that way kindly, but they've turned themselves into the shape of a chair. And so they really find it hard to go even into a, a little dip into a squat. You know, there's no way. So being kind to them and not shaming them and making them feel that they've had a win, you know, and then they go, how am I going to remember all that? I said, well, start listening to your body. You just start listening. What is it's whispering to you, but you're not listening. And the pain is a shout. Yep. It's shouting at you. And now once you've attended to that part of the body, another part of your body shouting at you. You go, oh, that wasn't there before. Uh, actually, it was. But you were attending to this one first. And now you've noticed this one. So it moves around the body, not because it's a pain body moving around. but just things you haven't attended to for a while. So let's treat it like a wild animal. Let it be approached with softness, stillness, kindness. I've just acquired two kittens. And last night was the first time I squatted down and they actually walked around me and through my legs and, and decided <laughs> I was okay. And it's taken three weeks, but, you know, they go, oh, you're dinner lady. You might be all right. And they're so cute. They're really, really cute, but I can't do it with loud noise. No fast movements, nothing aggressive. Uh, the vacuum cleaner really scares them, but you know, I'm not going to change my life that way. Still going to vacuum. <laughs> yep. But that's the same with humans. You, if you're showing off and, and doing things in an aggressive or too assertive a way, you're going to scare them off. And you just think, no, that's, that's not what it's about. But I think that idea of being an expert or at least reasonably proficient on the first go, that's what I'm seeing a lot of because I get an older client who thinks, oh, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? And then just leading them very quietly to a space where they can accomplish something, something. And no, that's why the test is such a good idea because they've got to know where, feel that, be fully aware of this is how you've walked in. Now let's do that again. Now what's the different qualities? 
and if anything, people don't direct that attention to themselves. It's always outward, internal introspection to notice the head is sitting in a different position. The tummy is rumbling because peristalsis started off because you're actually relaxed. Because <laughs> they go, oh, sorry about that. You know, the tummy's rumbling. Okay, that's the compliment to me that I've got you on the right track. Awesome. As for the wind releasing, well, <laughs> too much relaxation there. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it's so funny with the stretching because you get everything. Like you get that, you get like people having, you know, laughing fits. They start bawling their eyes out. <laughs> there is like everything on the spectrum that can happen in a stretch class um which is one of the reasons why i find it very very fascinating to do this stretching work and it kind of oh it is giving them a lot of the time a completely different space of environment and practice compared to what they are used to um like you mentioned so it's um it's sort of bringing this thing back to the body that they have lost along the way kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, recently I had them lying on their backs and I said, all right, hug one knee to your chest. Now give that knee a kiss. Everybody does it. But if I said you have to flex the neck and blah, 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 <laughs> God, that is so boring. So I go, now kiss your knees. One, two, three, four, five, six, okay, lie down, and then <laughs> pop yourself over here, pop yourself over there, and they do it. And there has been no objection. And somebody who was new said to me afterwards, that was interesting, you know, like you didn't have all these high technical terms or anything like that. I go, nah. I said, who, who needs that? <laughs> you just need to give yourself a bit of love. <laughs> yeah. Humour is one of those awesome tricks you can use for you know getting people relaxed and getting people into it and just get over themselves and whatnot yeah it's really lovely and i i've noticed that the people in the room even call out to the people on camera and say because it's you know just on an ipad and they just go oh albert that looks really good da, 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 da. And, then, and i'm thinking this is interesting. We're getting interaction, not just me to camera, but everybody else. And they go, good luck with that job they're, because they're talking to each other. That's wonderful. That human connection thing. And this is the, the big thing. Why am I doing this? Because humans like to get connected in a way that's uh, quite different. It's not you're in a massive class doing your own thing, trying to keep up to this very life human who's so flexible it's it's like i don't even know where to begin you know that that's the comments i get especially for those who are starting out and you think okay i have to keep that in mind so that's why i tend to wear very loose baggy clothes not too tight fitting i rarely wear tights sometimes it, it just depends and and the tone of the class is modesty that's another thing there's no showing off of um, body parts or, or things like that it's it's actually regular people I've actually said to someone you can wear your pajamas and they did <laughs> <laughs> in the room in pajamas I went oh okay good for you <laughs> that person must have been comfortable in your company that's great that's right that's right I thought okay good for you and then they, I love the conversations. Go to Kmart, men's pajama pants, $5. And they go, oh, great, you know. So they're light. They can wear them in summer and they're nice and loose. <laughs> so you know, you, funny. You hear, yeah, I love, I love the, the client conversations between each other. You know, men talking about, oh, my wife wants to do this with her makeup. It tastes horrible. <laughs> I don't like kissing her when she's got lipstick on. Oh. <laughs> so that makes me laugh. I thought, you know I'm in here, don't you? You know I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I have a couple more things I want to uh, chat to you about. So the first thing is, what is it like to be Cherie on this planet? Awesome. <laughs> well, that's quick. That's it. I, I like I like her. As, as I said, you know, I, to be Cherie is to be able to say no thanks, yes, to be able to make a choice, uh, be self-directed. I'm not, it's not that you're independent. It's your, you, you, you understand your interconnectedness. You understand your connection to the least. What I mean is the people who are not the prettiest, not the most skilled. I always gravitate to those people in the room. Uh, maybe because it's, I am an introvert and I can see their wound very clearly. Uh, so I'm an empath. I can just sense all these different things about people. And I think that person is, is awkward and I'll, I'll just talk to them and I'll help them out. I seem to get those kinds of people in my life. My mum used to say, I didn't collect stray dogs and cats. I collected stray people. <laughs> so the person that Cherie is, is a compassionate person. And I like being generous with everything, time, things, whatever. And, and not scorekeeping. I can't be bothered with scorekeeping. That's who Cherie is. She doesn't, she doesn't remember things that have been slung at her, particularly being Asian in a white perceived country because Australia is more white than anything else. Um, and the racism and everything that gets directed at you, I don't really remember. Don't really, don't really hold those things. That, that's not me. That's who Cherie is. To be mm. me is, is to be free of those things. Don't live through your wounds. And, yeah, that being in the now, that's, it's just so good. Yeah, it is very good to be in the now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. Um, the final thing I want to ask is... If you want to be found, where can people find you and contact you? SydneyStretchTherapy.com is my website. Cherie Sito, you Google that, you'll find me. You will find me. Not many Cherie Sitos in the world. I'm very fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I will make sure to put those links in as well. Thanks, Cherie. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>